What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 368. My name is Steve, one of the co-hosts, and as always, I'm joined by... Ryan. And John. Beautiful. That was brisk. Yes. Rana went in real quick on it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be flowing. John well, you know, dramatic pause. Viewers are going to know that he had his water bottle very close to his mouth. So I thought yeah. he might miss his moment, but no, he stopped yeah. pre sip. Yeah. Just to wedge in the Ron. But the Ron had a little bit of a, I felt like it, Ronald, it felt like a little hurried because I think you were on your way to getting uh, a sip of water. So just, yeah, you know, for sure. For maybe sure, next time sure. drink water before Steve starts talking so that you're, you're, you know, fully lubricated and ready to go. Okay. I'll, I'll keep that in mind, man. <laughs> you seem to be very much considering my stupid bullshit advice. <clears throat> so uh, we've got a cool episode today, mainly because we've got another review that you guys, uh, Ronald and John, were able to see an uh, advanced screening of uh, Creed 3. Michael B. Jordan directing this one. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Majors also starring in this one. So they had a press screening this week. The two of uh Two of you guys were able to see it and mm-hmm. talk about it here in a bit on the show, which is exciting because this uh, embargo is up early, so it doesn't come out until next Friday. Insane. But, um, you know, I think they're probably confident in this movie and, and they're going to allow us to talk about it a week early. So we'll get to that in a bit. Um, and then we're going to go over the required viewing, which was my pick from two weeks ago, which is a movie called The Dry starring Eric Bana. If anybody watched along uh, with us on that, it's from 2020. Um, I think you guys also saw a movie called Return to Soul, which is opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of in a rollout release, but it'll be opening uh, here in Baltimore next week as well. And then um, I don't know, saw something else I want to mention towards the end of the show. But uh, to start it off, is there any news, any trailers, anything real quick that you want to mention before we get into the required viewing choice? Hmm. Hmm, I don't know. Not that I could think of. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, nothing great. I, I wanted to mention one thing I saw literally before we were going to record tonight, which which was that Warner Brothers announced that they are going to be showing uh, the Flash at CinemaCon this year, Ooh. which is going to be a full six weeks before the release. Why don't we try people, to go to CinemaCon? Why don't we try uh, that? You, you have to be a theater exhibitor. No man, they get they have some some. Well, that, that make it happen. That make it happen. Then. Oh man, it's on I you, Ronald. Let's there. go. Let's go. Well, I'm sure they're there to cover the event itself. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. We can look into that. But yeah. the event itself is really geared towards exhibitors, studio show. You know, basically their slate for the year or for the year and a half or so to come um, to kind of show the theater chains and, you know, the theaters themselves. Um, I guess the product that they'll they'll be able to promote. And there's a lot of uh, history and movies being shown there early, kind of being films that studios are very confident in especially if it's got a long lead like that uh, most notably recently uh last year they did this with top gun maverick which was the the kind of real first showing of that movie which kind of just blew the roof off the place and was the start of paramount's long marketing run for top gun maverick so it's just a really interesting note because everything that we've heard about the flash is that it's a uh, you know that it's pretty great and then or that at least they deem it to be and they're the bullish screen- on it Right. The test screenings have been very, very, very high scoring. Um, so I, this is just another move to really make it feel like this is kind of maybe like their movie. You know, this is the one they're kind of putting um, so much focus and attention on. And, uh, you know, as soon as it shows there, you know, people are going to be talking about it all over the place. You know, you know, not necessarily saying that in terms of spoilers, but just there'll be a, a very quick read 
uh, on the quality of this movie. And um, I don't know. I think it's a really cool move. So that'll be in April. I think, yeah, I think that one article I've read said it's, it's just about six weeks before the movie comes out. Um, so something to look forward to just over a month, basically, we'll be starting to hear um, some kind of mass reaction to Andy Machete's The Flash, which, you know, for all accounts, it sounds like it's going to be pretty awesome. Mm. Um, but the unless we manage to like today. pose as catering staff and sneak into this, uh, we, we'll, yeah. we'll have to we, wait. We could June. just we we could probably flash our movie pass badges and get <laughs> our cards and get in, right? Yeah. I mean, that's got to yeah. carry some weight. That's got yeah. to. That's got to. That's I mean, exciting. what else do we have it? What else do we have it for if not to get into CinemaCon? <laughs> right. Or you don't uh, you don't think the movie Schmovie <laughs> News Organization, Steve, will will find the funding to send us <laughs> to CinemaCon to cover this? It's it's in the budget for uh, fiscal twenty twenty three. I don't know. I have yeah. to check with uh, with the finance department. <laughs> um, Which means we'll just go online and look at our bank accounts and that, that's in our, essence, yes, yeah. or yeah, our, our, our Venmo's department. accounts that we send back and forth. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to mention that really quick, just because I I, I know personally, I'm really getting geared up for the flash and you know i think not to kind of go back on this topic but just like kind of just this discussion around what what's going on with marvel recently and you know them kind of you know uh pumping the brakes a bit on their output in the coming year or two um it just seems like a interesting lane right now for dc to have an opportunity to really kind of kick it off a bit with this new uh saffron i'm um uh, James Gunn and Peter Saffron fronted DC Studios. And I mean, not that they really had a whole lot to do with that movie, but it does seem like if there's a time <laughs> to strike, uh, it might be right around now. And sure. uh, it sounds like Warner Brothers is going all in on this. So um, it's interesting. And I, I really can't wait to hear what people think about it and, and let alone see it ourselves. Um, yeah, it's the only thing I really wanted to mention. So. Let's jump into required viewing. Again, this is uh, my pick from two weeks ago. I picked this movie called The Dry. This is like a crime drama mystery. Uh, came out a couple years ago, and it's just one of those things that popped up on some top 10 lists uh, at the end of the year. And uh, I think I'd seen like Eric Bana post a couple things about it. And, uh, you know, I just never got around to seeing it. And this was an opportunity to finally watch it. I feel like I started it once or twice. Um but just, you know, never had an opportunity to finish it. But had you guys ever heard of it before I mentioned it or no. any awareness of it at all? Okay, cool. Okay, John, what about you? I had seen the poster okay, and maybe had watched a trailer or seen something about it, but it, it, it had no staying power in my mind in the sense that when you mentioned it, I was not... Um, I didn't I didn't instantly picture that poster. But when I when I went to watch it and I saw that image of of Eric Bana standing there with the title next, it's like I know that I saw that. I don't know if it was on a streaming service or something, but I saw it somewhere where I I thought, oh, you know, I, anytime something seems like it might be kind of a murder mystery thriller, that's an easy genre uh, genre to sort of. I call, if I like right. it, it's called a genre because of my name, John. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, it, that's an easy that's an easy hook for me if it's if it seems to be a well regarded kind of kind of thriller mystery like that with, you know, someone like Eric Bana, who's like a very credible leading man type. So I think I quickly earmarked it as something I might want to see and then totally forgot about it until you mentioned yeah. it. So it definitely falls into that, uh, you know, that category. It's like, it's got a recognizable actor or actress that it's like, Oh, that's interesting. And then it's just, yeah, that's just a victim of like the onslaught of just the, the amount of <laughs> sheer uh, options that we have of what to watch and where to watch them. But, but uh, I don't know. What did you guys think of the dry? I mean, especially not having any clue about it. Um, 
Well, I would actually want to open up maybe first. with a counter question to that, which is how do you guys feel about Eric Bannett? Like, what do you think of him carrying a film like this, having that sort of, you know, pay, playing the role that could be played in another movie easily by like Matthew McConaughey or Tom Cruise or something like that, but a, kind of like a, a an old fashioned leading man kind of performance, I thought in this movie, which I, I I'll, I'll, I'll start off by saying I was, I think that was like the strength of the movie, honestly, was his yeah. sort of quiet strength <laughs> as he, went through the story and then finding out more about the kind of, you know, uh, wrinkles in his story and, and, and his flaws. I think that was kind of interesting. What did you think Ronald of that key performance? Um, I have to, I have to lead with a very important statement. Um, True crime. I I normally stay away from it. Kind of does something. You mean just crime, Uh, crime. Yeah. Yeah. Crime. So I didn't mean to see true crime. Uh, crime just in general, but that specific kind of small town stuff, it messes with me. Um, it does something to me. Death is very like real for me and it, it affects me very deeply. So I try to stay away from it. So like uh, the murder stuff and the, the murder programs that my wife watches, I, I try to stay away from that stuff. But right, right. if you give me a special story that really is telling more than just, about, you know, I, I also have a problem with like super graphic murder scenes. Um, sure. But if you give me a good story, uh, I might give it a chance. And this kind of felt like um, one thing that's really interesting is Eric Banner being as handsome as he is, seeing people dump on him for an hour and a half <laughs> is really crazy because they typically like typically leads don't take on stuff where they're basically the butt of every attack and joke and insult. And he really takes it on in a way that felt like. He really understood the the gravity of, you know, people thought that he did this thing, this heinous thing. He understands how they could understand how they could think it. But well, we think it. I mean, I, I watching the movie, you're beginning to really? think it or at least it never leaves, never leaves your mind that it could be possible. I mean, I feel yeah, like the yeah. movie leaves it. You know, that question is open the whole time until we see that final moment. But yeah, we it's, it's almost like his redemption comes in the fact that we know that what he's carrying is not that regret, but a regret right. for all the other stuff, because he definitely is carrying some like some pain and regret that we just don't really yeah. know the heart of it. Because they were so hard on him, I knew that he didn't do it. It was so weird. Like they were just like they were just like throwing rock dead animals on the like Mike. Oh, my God. What? Yeah, what, this is crazy. But I also understand she was it's a little kid, man. She was young. Yeah. You know, so you feel the gravity of that throughout the movie, the the reactions, the way people tighten up the way he, when he comes into a room. I love it. I love the acting. I thought that it was it was really well done. And I really liked even the people that were terrible, even the terrible people, the people that were terrible to Eric X yeah. character. I really loved them. I loved when he ran into somebody, I'm like, oh, this is a small town. He's going to run into that person again. Maybe at this bar. <laughs> Maybe well, and it's bar. like it's your past coming back to you. I mean, that's almost like a genre of film right there where it's like someone's home and everyone's like, we never thought we'd see you again. You know, oh, yeah. another 20 years. See you around. I feel like that. I feel like that history, too, was something that was very mysterious to me at the beginning of the movie. And it's really yeah. it's really almost one of those films that it does seem like you could watch it a second time just to know the know the ins and outs of what you're seeing, because the first time through, you really it almost put me off for like the first half hour or so, Same. maybe not quite that long. But I was like having a hard time getting into the pull of the the narrative because I was a little bit like, well, did I 
miss something? And then I, I kept, I rewound a couple times and realized, no, I haven't missed anything. It's just that they have left certain details open. And then as the flashback started taking shape, it's right around that maybe first act ending, you know, where we're really getting into it, that I started to realize the structure of the movie, kind of what the game of the movie is, is that you're going to watch the past unraveling at the same time as the present. And then you're, you know, you, you can guess, but you still won't know until you get to the end. <clears throat> Yeah, and I, I guess that's what I was gonna say. Like that's that's the biggest takeaway from this movie is it didn't hold our hands. It really just kind of lets the story play out from whatever angle it's telling it at this point. It's not gonna be like, hey, look, this person, you know, it's none of that. It's like we're gonna give you a bunch of information, we're gonna direct you toward some of it, and you make the decision toward the end. And then there's some definite answers on some things, and then you know, uh I would have been okay if they didn't explain the murder, the the the, the Eric Banner murder, like that 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 whole situation. I would have been okay if they didn't explain right. that. Uh, but the fact that they did was heartbreaking. You know, it was yeah. heartbreaking. Um, it's just the credit to the storytelling. It just was a really well told. Felt tight. Felt slow. But then it, then I'm realizing like, oh, it's at the end. <laughs> like, oh. It's because yeah. of that. It's yeah. that bounce back, like with yeah. the flashbacks in the current time. Yeah. Like it, it, it splits the difference at some. And it point. keeps like, it close. You know, yeah. it's it's, it, it, it's on character the whole time. Um, yeah. What about you, Steve? I mean, this was your choice. I mean, I I loved it actually. Like I really was happy. I finally got to watch it. Your question initially, like I I love Eric Bana. Mm -hmm. I I really feel he's like very underrated and like really just underused in a lot of ways i think he's extremely funny i was just about to you know, say I, I, this like, movie is the one thing he didn't get to do in this movie yes, is yes. kind of show his comic chops which are so good but I, that, I, that's the reason i asked yeah. the question is because i kind of wonder i feel like we haven't talked about eric banna much compared to some other yeah, actors he, that have gotten a lot nah, more work man. and it's like why 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 has he not been in front and center in some of these you know like he could have easily been one of the guys in the nice guys or something like that like that type For of sure. yeah. role where you get to be funny and or physical like a guy and, Richie movie or something yeah you know? yeah like, like there's a physical like quality to his roles and a timing that he has but I, th yeah. I kind of agree with what Ronald said because we know all that about him it was fun watching him play this reserved guy who's very much like because he's this special policeman everybody kind of opens up to him like even the cop just starts opening up to him when he yeah, meets that guy was great uh yeah you know you know what he was great in that i kept picturing after this he, remember he played schmidt in the season of fargo where he was like yep. we met schmidt in the earlier season and he was like this pudgy lazy like yep. uh you know a middle management type cop who just wanted to do the bare minimum and everyone hates him but when we find out we're seeing young schmidt the fun was seeing that he had a little bit of heart like yeah. like that he actually wasn't always that guy who, who was sort of just shiftless and i thought that Don, was a yeah. fun performance and so i was really watching him in this and it was his physical he's he does play nervy edgy kind of wiry guys who aren't <laughs> like you felt like he was about to throw up that whole time yeah. when he was in the murder scene uh yeah and and yeah. and throughout the movie it feels like he's afraid of what he might have to do to to yeah. like you know and or what he might have to go into but i thought that character was great but just as an example that's the kind of character that you get in this yeah. sort of noirish thriller uh but eric ban is bouncing off of him but he's not playing that i mean again that he's playing the much more quiet stern character um but but everyone's just telling their story to him you know every when he comes around you just hear other people kind of talk at him to your point ronald where it's like he has to do a lot of listening <clears throat> yeah yeah um i feel like he, he definitely had a moment though like where he was like the guy yeah, you know, for sure. in terms of like what he was in and how often he was in things. 
uh, you know, and I feel like when he had that run, I always felt like he was always pretty great in what he was in, mm-hmm. you know, like looking through his, you know, back at that, I don't know, I guess that run in like the late nineties. Well, I guess it goes back as far as like probably the late nineties, early two thousands, but like, you know, Black Hawk down and Troy and, uh, Hulk. And, uh, I mean, Munich, I think is probably one of his best performances, but, mm. um, you know, in, in a lot of those, or even Chopper, you know, going back to what a lot of people kind of first saw him in, um, like those roles are all kind of, I don't know, of a kind maybe, but um, knowing and and I ha- have listened to him on a couple podcasts where he like really kind of, I never knew it, but I've always felt that he was very funny, but like, that's kind of where he got his start. Like he was like a stand-up comedian. Yeah. You know, like, and he had his own show in Australia and like, you know, like a, like a variety show. And um, doing impressions and things like that, which is just hilarious. Um, But yeah, I don't know, like this, 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 this pacing and this, this performance is kind of uh, definitely like more of a lay layback and let it happen or watch it happen or kind of thing. Kind of. Yeah, very, very. And um, he definitely has that presence, though, like, you know, that's like you've mentioned it, John, like a special kind of cop or, you know, the, the, the. The presence that he brings from his role or his job back to town with him, but even just his physical presence, like I feel like in those scenes, like even with the local cop with Kira Donnell and, you know, around some of the locals, like he just he he yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like he is kind of like a leading man. Like he just mm-hmm. never really is. launched and took off like like I think people thought he would. But I've always thought he's he's great. But in this, I thought he was really good. And I, I really liked, uh, yeah, Kira Donald's really good in this. And Genevieve O'Reilly mm-hmm. um, from Andor. Most people know her from most recently. She had that but, devastating um, scene with him. I thought she was fantastic in that moment. Where oh, he, he sort so of accuses good. her or in the course of his job has to ask her, yeah. wait a minute, did you yep. have something to do with this murder? And they've just had this really sweet, like opening up to each other kind of intimacy that you could tell for her may not be yeah. something she's so willingly gives away and it just shatters her. I just thought, the, I thought she played that moment. She's like great. She's th- there's great. a brief yeah. moment where you see her kind of g- catch her breath and then decide like, wait, what the fuck you get out of here? You know, but like, that was so brutal because you want both of them to have that moment, I guess. I, I, you know, I'm not, it wasn't a romance, but I did want them both to have that little moment of comfort from each other. And you realize that the situation is about to rip that away. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, Kira O'Donnell's wife, uh, Miranda mm-hmm. Tapsell, mm-hmm. plays Rita. She wasn't on the screen very much, but she made an impact on me. Yeah. It's just that those really strong people that are protecting their significant others and don't want, you know, super strong women, you know, just yeah. really looking out for their husbands. I just felt it. I felt that we've, I feel like we've all kind of felt that energy at some point from our significant others. It's like that protection that they have that, that, a lot of people don't talk about enough, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm oh no, I, I'll, I'll I'll sing it from the from the rooftops. But I know what you mean. It's like there's this sense that like you've got some, it's, you know, it, it's it's also witnessing someone be a mother and realizing then, oh, she's been doing some of that mama bear stuff for me, whether whether it, I, you know, whether it's something I've thought about when it was happening or not. But yeah, you yeah. do. I think that is something that you you notice uh, in your in your mate. But I, th- I thought you, I thought the same thing, Ronald. She was a really cool, like seeing that he had her kind of backing him up, allowed you to understand <laughs> how this kind of skittish guy might survive yeah. oh, <laughs> this, man. this world. There, there's a scene with Kira O'Donnell that like jumped out at me when he snuck up on Eric Bana. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. God, like in the man. hallway? Like he got the drop on him. And he's like, mm-hmm. why did you not yeah. tell me about it? Loved it. Because it's no, like. That was a great moment. It, you know, it kind of lent itself to the scene with Rita where she's like, you know, he he's a very trusting man. And yeah. he, you know, he felt betrayed. And he was he yeah. was taking it out. He was trying to figure it out in real time. But he, but he, the way he got the drop on him was so funny because he just didn't see him coming from the corner. He just kind of appeared. Well, did you, did you spot him and not know for a split second yeah, who it was like in the moment in this film yeah. this could easily be some new element or somebody that's coming yeah. to like shiv uh uh, uh eric <laughs> banner you know you just don't know and then you quickly can yeah. see that it's him but i'm just saying it was it was for me at the same moment eric banner has which is this moment of like ah! like there's someone over there um but i like the way he was kind of scared but instantly is like oh no it's him you know but there's still a moment of like oh, okay yeah. that like this past is catching up with him and you you can see that it's very painful to him to have to like feel like he was deceiving somebody that he's got, you know, he seems to like him. I guess that's the thing with the laconic characters. You never know for sure how much people are getting to them, but you can see that he's, you know, that's, that's the strength of an actor like Eric Bana is that he can play the stern outside while he's also showing you like something in the eyes is telling you, like he likes, he likes uh, whatever his name was. Uh, Rako. Rako. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so have, did you know there's a sequel to the book? That is now being made into a sequel to the movie, I believe. Really? Oh wow! No, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, and wow. that it's based on a book is no surprise when you see a movie yeah, with I this saw kind that of structure. It was based on a book. Yeah, yeah, and it makes sense mm. that it would be based on a book. Same, same people, or I, I, it said a sequel, so I'm guessing, yeah. But I don't know if that just means Eric Bana is in a different place on the case, or does it mean like another reason he goes home? We should mention the reason it was called the Dry is because his the town is like in the middle of a drought that uh, has been going on for the better part of a year. And I love that. I thought that was an interesting, yeah. yeah, that was an interesting backdrop. It reminded me of, um, not that this movie has quite the scope and and story of like Chinatown, but in Chinatown, the way like the water shortage and like, I like when that, I like when thrillers have something like that going on in the background of the world that, that lends, you know, something unique to this place. This place has a sort of desolate, dry quality. Another scene I thought was really good, a short scene, but the parents of, I guess it was Luke's, was those Luke's parents that he visited? Like the, uh, yeah. the, the older yeah. couple that the guy follows him out to the car and basically yes. says, I know you lied that day. Like just because because oh, yes. he knows that the dad of Luke knew that that Luke's story wasn't true. And he knew that that um, Eric Bana's character's story was was aligned with Luke's story. And so yeah. he knew, therefore, that he was lying, too. I just thought that was really that was one of the first clues we had that something was up from that day. And I swear, I thought that it was that Luke killed Ellie and that uh, and that Eric Bana had helped him cover it up. That's the way I thought that was going to go. So in the end, I, I, you know, I, I didn't think that Eric Bannon did something bad, but I did wonder, like, did he like, did something happen and he accidentally, you know, dropped her or something? I don't know. I just kept wondering how it could have turned so bad. But in the end, yeah. if, if anyone's listening to this to avoid watching the movie, we should tell them the, the, the dad ends up being the one who, who killed her because he finds out she's wanting to leave town. And that is really crazy because the dad is one of the most aggressive accusers of, of uh, Eric Bana's character, you know, uh, is he senile? Like, is he? I think he is. I think he is is senile, but I also think that there's like a lot, there's a a denial element to his, like his, Mm. like almost like the guys in a, it almost seems like he's an old drunk. Who's just never quite touching reality completely. You know, man, the, so that means that, that that's truly fucked up. That, (laughs) that, the thing that bothers me the most, that bothered me the most, that mm. stuck with me the most, 
was that scene when they find the body and he kind of howls, he kind of falls to the ground and howls. Yeah. That hurts. Now I'm thinking about like he was faking that, yeah. right? Or 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 his faking. or his guilt and and pain was coming out in in that moment, and it was hard <laughs> to sure. I'm, right. I mean, I'm not trying to give him credit. I'm just saying it's an interesting thing because he could be either thing. It could be what have I done that's coming out, and it also could be him going, "Oh my God, I you know it's a total fake." performance right and and if, oh. if eric bana kind of knew i don't know i you wonder because he's standing up on the hillside watching him do that remember we see him up there yeah yeah so i wonder what he knew about you know what had happened uh, so and we haven't even mentioned the other murder is like this other crazy money embezzling oh thing God. where this kind of wormy guy is responsible for it that that was crazy to me and then the, you know he tries to set Ooh. himself on fire that really went to some wild uh places but even that was filmed in a way that wasn't spoon feeding you what was happening yeah. you had to kind of put together once they were at the hospital like who had been hurt and what had yeah. and everyone survived but um you know luckily eric bano is still pretty it was it was sneaky the way that he came into that situation because yeah you're like okay he's gonna be like his his assistant like like the assistant that's outside of the law that right kinda... he's gonna be the guy with the wait a minute i found the file you know he, yeah. I, I kept you could tell that actor was gonna come back into it though his earlier yeah. scene it felt like he had too much of a hairdo and too much of like the costume department gave him too much of a thing to not yeah. you know need him because i wondered was he famous i was like is that some australian guy that i just don't know because he <laughs> seemed too had he had too much character just to be the guy that's in the one scene yeah um which you know i'm glad that my instincts were correct but no that was that that yeah that whole plot was crazy <clears throat> there's a bunch of like really good acting okay mm -hmm. last last thing i'm going to talk about when Ever. when the firemen got beat up and they were in the back and they basically found out that those those two were dating, right? That the two guys were together. That the doctor was yeah. dating the okay. Eric Mana's <laughs> reaction. He's just like, Yeah, it's fine. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. This is I'm fine with how you <laughs> I, this is this is what I'm worried about. I'm worried about a murder. This is mm -hmm. <laughs> right. You you your 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 relationship isn't the least of my concern. But right. he played it in a way that was so like subtle, so like what a friend would do. What a what a friend would do. You know, if you, they're helping somebody, oh, that's nah, fine. Like that's that. I'm not. I'm not going to stop being your friend tomorrow for you telling me this. I, I just right. love that. I love that scene. And Eric Banner played it really well. He could have been kind of like too. Oh no, no. I, right, right. Know, well, it's, the, it's, the, it's back to that laconic thing I keep mentioning, but it's like that character doesn't give you too much. And as a course of that, he's not giving other characters in his world too much either, mm -hmm. you know? And so you see how in some ways he's kind of stunted and closed off, but in some ways you appreciate that someone like that just basically keeps it together. And that if he did have this dark secret, he at least, I don't, I don't know. He's not, he's not like a toxic, uh, he's not one of those, uh, you know, uh, he's not going around cracking heads and being toxic. He's actually yeah. a pretty pretty stabilizing force in the in the story but we don't quite know how much to trust him ourselves until we get to the end yeah for um, sure so no I, circle I enjoy back, circle back on your comment john so it is there is a sequel and it's, it sounds like it maybe is already done okay oh, wow. um it's called force of nature oh, and man. it was filming in the summer of last year um sure. and something to, to note about the dry i guess the reason they could make this sequel to the book series uh into a film was that the dry uh, was, I mean, what did it say? The top three films in the country in Australia for the first five weeks, which is a pretty rare feat for like a locally 
produce film, right, right. but that it was the um, it finished with a twenty point one million dollar local box office haul, making it the biggest independent Australian release of twenty twenty one. Wow! Behind only Hollywood backed Peter Rabbit two. Which made twenty two million dollars. <laughs> so um, the COVID era box office for Australia, it's the fifth highest grossing film. So uh, for a movie, you know, locally grown, shot everything there. Um, this movie was a big hit there, at least. So I mean, I guess that's kind of where we're at in terms of a sequel. And in the sequel, it looks like Anna Torf is going to be playing one of the Ooh, characters, nice. which is a nice uh, bonus. No, that she's um, she's always great. Yeah. So the movie's in post production now. So I'm guessing, you know, at some point some point this year probably later this year we might see this movie um that'd be awesome i didn't even realize it was a sequel to it but uh but yeah i i i definitely would recommend it if you can find it uh i think i said last time um it was on i don't know where you guys watched it but i know it's available through uh the showtime app if you have showtime that's kind of where that's where i watched it but um video on demand channels everywhere else, but you can check it out there. Maybe before force of nature comes out, you can watch it. Um, yeah. It's like a premium priced uh, rental, yeah. but I think it's well worth, especially I think it's worth you know, it, yeah. yeah, it's like 10 bucks or whatever uh, on um, Google play. And then it's 1299 on Apple TV. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's priced like a movie ticket, Sure, but um, you know, you probably have a nice enough television that you can imagine. That's what you're having is a movie experience, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I definitely think it's worth sitting down and like, like if you are in the mood for that kind of adult drama slash thriller type film, that's going to n- not insult your intelligence. Um, I think this is, this is that movie. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. All right. Who's up next? Uh, I'm up next. Okay. What we got? Um, I'm going to throw back to um, uh, when we started this thing, I think it was the kickoff. Ronald sort of started with an outlier. He started by breaking the rules because he made us watch all six episodes of a British television show, the season okay. uh, season one of the responder. And that's always okay. kind of rung in my head is like, well, it wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily want to give us six hours again in a week. Um, uh, but you know, then I thought, well, some shows aren't, aren't an hour long. And there's one show that I've actually been wanting to rewatch recently. We've probably talked about it on the show over the years, but I don't know that we've ever really done a segment on it. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a show that is connected in its lineage. Um, it predates the television show, uh, The Mighty Boosh. It predates the IT crowd, but it's got threads of those shows running through it. It's got threads running through to uh, what we do in the shadows. Um and uh, I just am really in the mood to revisit uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, uh, <clears throat> Ooh, which is a good pick. Which is a six-episode show that was that was thirty-minute episodes, and I just think that it's such a fun concept. The idea is that a Stephen King or Dean Koontz-like writer <laughs> in the '80s had a television show that he produced, and now it's being like you're you're seeing like the presentation of this like six episodes of this it's a it's a silly show set in a hospital but yeah. every episode is kind of a self-contained supernatural mystery but it's made to look like a cheesy artifact of the the late 70s early 80s of british television as presented by this pompous writer who you know likens himself he says i don't think of yeah. myself as a writer i think i consider myself a dream weaver you know <laughs> and so it's introduced by him and his his agent i believe played by uh R- richard Ayoade. Um, who is uh, hilarious in this show as as Dean Lerner, I believe is the character's name. I'm kind of pulling all this from memory. I have not sat back down, but I just have been Ooh. in the mood to revisit it. And I think it's out there many, it's, it seems like it's pretty easy to watch. And like I said, it's six half hour episodes. So it's just like watching a long movie. So yeah, Garth Marenghi's uh, Dark Place is my required viewing for next It looks like time. it's included with Amazon Prime Video. The oh, first cool. season is on there for if yeah. you have that. 
like one cool. of my favorite shows ever. It's one but of those also, great British shows, isn't it, Ronald? Like the way British television can be so creative and so so yeah. based on a particular comedian's style and so experimental, and they only have to go for six episodes, and they usually get to control the whole. I don't know. It's the creative control and quality quality control involved in only producing six episodes is so. I don't know. I wish more American shows could do that because it seems like yeah. it lets the it lets the whole thing stay kind of. You know, you don't get as much material, obviously, to chew over, but it's usually more consistent, and and you feel you feel like you had a good meal when it's done. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah man, big sounds fan. fun. I just got it to the queue. All right, uh, so why don't you two talk to us about Creed Three? You feeling strong now, Ronald? I, I am. <laughs> I am feeling strong. Um, but stop punching me in my fucking shoulder. <laughs> that's a you know apparently that's a if you if you if you if you go to work on a guy's arm i never really i don't think i've quite seen that in a boxing movie Look, before it, it is the dirtiest thing you could do it's so dirty i i just don't see it in boxing and you get points like it's just like a it's so dirty it's such a three three jordan <laughs> jordan michael b jordan's directorial debut yes wowzer Wowzer. We got access to it. We got to see it early. Um, we poured one out for Steve. We poured one out for you, man. Um, there's one that. more press screener. You think about going to that one, Steve? How are you feeling? No, I'll, I'll be at Disney. I'll be. At oh, Disney you're going World. to Disney? Okay. Yeah, he'll be at Disney. <laughs> oh, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so fun. <laughs> um, here's here's what I'm going to say. If, if This is the first thing I'm going to put out there. I liked it so much that I'm probably going to try to go to the next press screening if I could get it, if I can go. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's the first thing I'm going to say. John, what did you think about it initially? You- I, I had just caught up and watched uh, Creed 2 the, the day that I went to see Creed 3. So mm-hmm. I had come out, I, I had enjoyed Creed 2 and thought that was good, but serviceable, not as good as Creed, um, but had some moments that were really nice and I thought was filmed beautifully. Um uh, but but I guess so. What I was coming into this with, knowing it was Jonathan Majors playing the the uh, the antagonist of this film, and knowing it was Michael B. Jordan directing, I guess I was kind of looking forward to seeing how those two things panned out. Like how how does Michael B. Jordan put together this movie after being the focus of this franchise? And also, Jonathan Majors is somebody who has become one of my favorite actors to watch uh, because he's sure. so magnetic and so he does so much. But he he usually does it with a point and with some taste. And he he, he loves throwing all these flourishes into a character like Kang that we just saw last week in Quantumania. I was really looking forward to seeing him do something more grounded and build a character, you know, in that sense. And so I think those were the two things that I, that I, I was going into this movie thinking was I, I wonder and also thinking I wonder if it's going to be better than Creed 2 just because uh, like I said Creed 2 was perfectly good but it reminded me it just reminded me and I said this before we watched Creed 3 Ronald that like the Rocky series into the Creed series which we can kind of consider one big mega franchise it is one of those sort of consistent I mean I, I don't know that I've seen there's there might be a couple of Rocky films that I haven't seen but it feels like a more consistent franchise just in the sense of there's a formula there's a certain kind of heart that it has there's a certain kind of way of framing a boxing match that these movies have so having seen Creed 2 and liked it a lot I was really going into this one going like all right I hope this one cinches the deal and does something a little more emotional and a little more powerful 
And I think it did. I mean, I, I easily think this is a superior film to, to Creed 2. Maybe maybe as good or better than Creed, the first one? I don't know. I just think the heart of that relationship between uh, Damian Anderson, uh, Jonathan Major's character, and Creed in this film, um, it's so good. Like, there's one scene, Steve, of them sitting in a diner having a meal together for the first time in years, these old friends. Right. And it's a fantastic scene. Like both guys are given every little bit of nuance and juice to these two characters who are kind of feeling each other out after, and one of them has one agenda and the other one has a different, you know, you know, the scene I'm talking about, obviously Ronald, it's just, it's a yeah. great moment. And it really made me think that's great when you can leave a movie and what you're thinking about is like a quiet moment of just sure. realistic acting between two great performers. Yeah. Like Michael B. Jordan, he's so pumped up now. You sort of forget that what made us love him in the first place is that the guy is a great actor. Um, and I'm not saying he's, that's not on display in some of his more muscly roles. I'm just saying that this is like, I thought he was, I thought he was fantastic in this movie. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things you'll take away from it. Sure, man. Like Jonathan Majors is skyrocketing in this movie. He is electric on the screen, but the only way that this works is if Michael B. Jordan carries the emotional weight of it. Right. Um, one of the things that the, the, the threat of this is kind of survivor's remorse. Uh, it's it's handled in a way that I've, I've I honestly have never seen with with two black leads where no one gets shot. I mean, sure, it involves guns, but no one no one dies by a gun. Um, the the issues are handled with nuance, believe it or not. Like Keenan Keenan, um, uh, what's his brother? Uh, uh, the original director, Ryan Coogler. Keenan Keenan Coogler. Keenan Coogler has gone through this before. Like, mm. there's no doubt. Like, he wrote it. Like, it's so real that I was telling John that I've had these conversations. I've been at that table, you know. And some of it is just it's it's a super simple idea that that anybody can relate to. When you come from humble beginnings, and you find a way to make it out of your situation you got you you sometimes have this amazingly deep guilt about that that change mm -hmm. you know and right. i think that anybody can relate to that you know mm -hmm. um and it's handled in such a cool way and and michael b jordan's di directing is just it's it feels a little like shorthanded at some parts a little weird at some one thing i will complain about i have to complain about this is the last fight in the way it's shot. You're talking Michael about the sort of dream dream world sort of I don't want to give that away. Oh. But yeah. You are yeah, some weird stuff they doing. They're doing some weird stuff. And we gotta tell you ahead of time because it's not regular. It's not right. a regular fight scene. So like even when John says dreamlike, you still will have no idea what the hell we're talking about. But it is <laughs> shot in like a dreamlike way that's just so maybe too artsy far it feels like someone trying to put their stamp on something that you already did through the amazing directing that you did for the first hour 10 of yeah. the movie you know so i agree i, I want to say one thing too about that final fight i think the final fight in a rocky film or a creed film is obviously this huge scene that they have to figure out some way now to make a new version of something that they now have done what nine times before eight <laughs> times before right so it's like, there because we know the formula and you could sort of write out the rough sketch of this movie from the beginning. Like if you watch the first 15 minutes, you could sort of predict basically what's going to happen. You might you might guess a little wrong in one way or the, uh, the other, 
But I think that what we're talking about, that visualization of the fight, there it is an attempt, Ronald, to bring something new to something that could feel basic and formulaic. I think it's a weird, the reason why I think it's worth mentioning is in relation to his directing though, is because it is almost like a rare stumble step for this movie because it feels like it's a lack of confidence in the drama of the situation that yes. you need to present it in, in a different way rather than just doing what they've always done. And up to that moment, some of the fighting in this movie I thought was was may have been directed in a more exciting way um, than Creed II. I wasn't really sure, but that was something I actually worried about with this movie was with Michael B. Jordan being a first time director, are we going to lose some of that like polish and sheen that the the For previous sure. two Creed movies had? But the second Creed movie was directed by someone whose name I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's Ryan Coogler obviously did the first one. The second one's kind of built on the template of the of the first one, but I feel like this movie feels more like a director's movie than the second one did. Like it actually feels yeah. like with touches like that, some of which work for me and some of which don't, but at least with touches like that, you feel like Michael B. Jordan is doing something as a director and out. Yeah. Outside of a few little things like that, I, I felt like, Oh, wow. I wouldn't have known this was directed by an actor. Um, I, I don't know why I feel like there's certain marks of a movie that you can sort of feel when it, when an actor directed it, there's a certain like, Sometimes they do kind of showy things with a camera that feel like this is a this is a pretty good director's idea of a cool camera move, you know, but it might yeah. be something a real director, a more studied director would 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 smooth out and maybe would not do gimmicky shots or whatever. Yeah. But this movie's not gimmicky and it doesn't overly focus on Michael B. Jordan's character uh, the way that you would think a vanity project yeah. would do. So I think, yeah, I, what you're talking about, Ronald, is a weird moment that like. Like it's one of the few moments that kind of take you out of the the human story, um, and it, I think it's an attempt to bring you further in, which is yeah. which is kind of an odd thing. But yeah. um, um, but the choreography is great. I mean, outside of moments like that, I think there's some really good. Like Jonathan Majors is so interesting to watch. He just does things yeah. that I don't know if I've seen someone do <laughs> in For one sure, of these boxing man. movies before. Yeah, it's not just punching people in the arm. Yeah, it's fighting style is nuts. Um, one one thing I will say because they're they're probably probably people that are wondering, hey. I've heard the rumors. Sylvester Stallone is not going to be in this movie. He was sad and disappointed. What what makes up for that energy? Wood Harris. Wood Harris steps up <laughs> as Duke, but he's like he's kind of like a an old grouchy version of himself. Steve, he's it like, feels like they aged him up. It feels like every other character is just kind of playing, like Tessa Thompson, Michael B. Jordan. They're just themselves. But with Wood Harris, they went ahead and decided he's older now because he's yeah. like got the gray. And then they flash back, and in the flashback, he looks like the other characters are kids, or Michael B. Jordan's a kid. But Wood Wood Harris looks like he does just kind of in Creed too, sort of. So it kind of <laughs> feels like they retroactively decided in this movie. Now he's he's old, but I do think he he gets to play like a he gets to play a little bit of grumpiness in this movie that I thought was kind of half funny. And half of the yeah. time, he's kind of the voice of reason. Don't you think, Ronald? Like he, he's, he can kind of see the train wreck coming from a mile away. He's the audience. He's like, you're old. You're old. You're slow. You're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> There's a lot of that. But it's like Wood Harris. You know what it feels like? Some of the moments on The Wire where he was being kind of a like a slick, cool person. But like dialed up it's like this is if he's out the game and very yeah. he's he's so good in this man yeah he really is he really is he's so good um yeah so much so ronald that i'll, I'll echo what you're saying 
uh, I, I, I sort of thought I missed Sylvester Stallone, but then I tried to picture where he would have been in this movie and it would have been, I mean, I was glad this movie didn't lay it on too thick. I was glad this movie clocked in at around two hours and not two and a half hours. So it's like, I don't know where you would have fit in Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone's story or an arc for Rocky. Uh, and so to me, it feels like keep a character out of a movie rather than just give them a, a token cameo. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the notion that he's now walked away and would never do it again, that's sort of a bummer because it feels like if you did a, like there are characters in this movie that are coming back from previous movies that yeah. you might not expect. And I, I like that idea that there's this little Rocky slash Creed universe that you now have a ton of characters you can pull in, like just like yeah, using the sure. the Ivan Drago in the, in the second one. So um, it's a bummer if Sylvester Stallone really feels hurt, but I feel like, Creed two gives him a really great send off moment. I don't know if you remember that moment where he's sitting by the, he's in silhouette in the foreground, sitting, looking up at the ring and Creed has yeah. just won and they're all lit up and nice. And he, it's like, a, it's like a painting he's silhouetted and he kind of straightens his hat. Um, right. And that's, I think that's the last Rocky moment we get, except for like a brief moment of him, like walking into his apartment while, while Creed is narrating. Um, but like, it's a great send off. And it felt like to me, if this is the last time we see this character, they visualized him passing the torch beautifully in that scene. So it's a bummer to think that Sylvester Stallone would feel, would feel left out rather than think it's kind of cool to say that Rocky got to ride off into the sunset. Um, yeah. And he's not dead yet. You can always, you can always bring him back in. Yeah. What's weird is I don't think they mention him. Do they? Like uh, maybe once, like in passing. He, I think they in pass. Oh yes, he did because he mentioned that Rocky took a chance on Creed. Oh right, right, right. Or, or the, the Creed took a chance around. on Creed Rocky. Right. A, a, yeah. Creed took a chance on Rocky. Um, but yeah, he he, he kind of casually says it once or twice, and then you don't hear about him again. So, yeah. um, you you will get your fill of uh grumpy energy in the form of Whit Harris's Duke character. He's so good, man. Yeah. Um, I had an issue with Tessa Thompson sometimes. Nah, man, there's something about her. I can't like, she's one of the few good people that I like that doesn't convince me that much, you know? And, yeah, and she, yeah. she definitely has, she puts a little too much of a spin on, on her lines or something. She just doesn't feel like she's quite in the same universe as everybody else. Her Philly accent in the first one was horrific. The second one, she kind of slowed up, but she tried to do it a little bit. And now she's just like the way that, Madonna moved to London and now she has a British accent. She has kind of like that famous accent. It's just like yeah. what wealth brings you, you know. And I honestly character. thought she was supposed to be like uh, have like West Indian or like uh, Jamaican descent or something. I I didn't know she was doing a Philly accent. I I, I and when I watched Creed too, I couldn't remember. Wait, where's she supposed to be from? So yeah, but I mean, I think that her British accent as a Valkyrie in the Thor movies is not that great either. <laughs> We just like Tessa Thompson. She's one of those people. Steve, we were talking about this. It's like people that we love that aren't great with accents. If you start thinking about it, there are some great actors that just do weird accents. Like Anthony Hopkins sometimes will pull a really weird accent out. Um, right. uh, Ewan McGregor's American accent uh, is very much like, hey, well, hey, hi, guys. I don't know what's going on. Hey, I'm from America, just like the rest of you, you know, and it's just like. Sometimes great actors just don't nail it, but it doesn't mean they're not doing a good performance. I don't know. It's it's a right, funny right. little funny little difference. It's not always about mastering the accents. So right, right. It's me, <laughs> Ewan McGregor, the American. <laughs> so funny. Oh, oh shoot. But yes, I guess we're saying go ahead, everybody. I mean, if, if but yeah. I feel like if you, I feel like you know already. If you if you love these movies, this is another. 
I mean, Steve, what do you think about that? That this is just kind of a solid franchise that like you kind of know what you're getting on some level and it usually pays off. It usually has some moment of heft or emotional payoff, at least. <clears throat> I mean, for sure. I mean, I think across Rocky and Creed, you know, what whatever comes of the future of the Creed franchise or, you know, you mentioned the Drago. I, I think they're supposed to be doing like a Evan Drago spinoff thing. But I mean, yeah, I think across this whole interconnectivity of a Rocky Creed Adonis franchise, I, I, it's the kind of thing where like, yeah, I'll see every single one of them, you know, especially uh, loving Creed and Creed two. Um, I've been, I'm very excited to see this one. And obviously the Jonathan majors factor is he's like the moment right now, you know, mm -hmm. he's like the guy right now. And I love it. The yeah. reality of like, like you know, back to back weeks or every, or within the span, I saw somebody comment like in the span of three weeks or two weekends or whatever it is that like he steals, uh, steals the spotlight from the two leads of big, you know, temple franchise movies. Yeah, man. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's consistent. I mean, they're just, they're, it's a, these boxing movies are great. I mean, they focus a lot on character stuff. They have great fight sequences and, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a sentimentality to these movies, you know, that I think works really well. And I think there's there's like a different kind of vibe uh, with the Creed franchise. And I think it works for today a lot better than yeah. Rocky would. Um, yeah, right. And totally. uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's 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 very bankable. And I'm glad to see that you guys both seem to really enjoy it. Um, yeah. Oh, we didn't mention her daughter, his daughter. Oh, God. So great. Okay, this is the last thing, man. The daughter. Well, there was actually one other thing I wanted to mention, but yeah, mention the daughter because this is incredible. <laughs> Mila, no, the daughter. Yeah, Mila Davis Kent, who plays uh, Amara Creed, is just a force, man. She's she is the emotional strings in this movie. Besides the relationship between Diamond Dame and uh, Adonis Creed. Uh, just a special relationship that Adonis has with... Uh... It's so cute and endearing to see him with his daughter. I mean, the way he is with her is just perfect. If you, yeah. you know, like, like it just, it's like, you don't need to see more evidence he's a good guy, but the way he is with his daughter is just, it's just adorable. <laughs> Their relationship and the way that she's kind of got him, his number, but at the same time, she looks up to him so much. And I think that puts him in a real precarious position because he has to think about what she sees when she sees him do what he does, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and how she's influenced by it. It's a real subtle thing almost uh, that gains power throughout the movie. Well, Ronald, I wanted to mention one thing. There were two things that the side of this is that the humor of this movie that, that we had a little laughing boy down the, the aisle from us. It was, you know, Steve, it's been so long since we've been out to these physical screenings. We haven't had like a fellow audience member report. Oh but this guy thought everything was this funny. Every 10 seconds, he went. <laughs> and But there would be stuff that half of the time he seemed to be laughing. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ronald, like at real emotional moments that made yeah, him uncomfortable. Yeah. And then the other half or that he thought were corny or something. And then the other half of the time, it would be things that were actually funny. But it was a steady like leak of air out of this guy, the whole movie. And so I just wanted to celebrate that because, you know, that's that was a new one for me. It would be like 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 uh, Jonathan Major's character is like, you know, how it feels to do 18 years in jail. What? Like, why are you laughing at his 18 years in prison? It was, 
It was so strange. Man. And then I heard you laughing a few times. And that's like, then we got started laughing back and forth. <laughs> the guy would do it and then we would laugh. But the other thing I was speaking of the humor of this movie, you, I heard you laugh at a couple moments that I laughed too, Ronald. And mm. I think what we were laughing at was something jo- Jonathan Majors does with his face when he's like watching somebody and his eyes are like half closed. He's like blase and he's got this sort of like, yeah you know what yes. i'm talking about we yeah. left it th- there's two or three moments where he's like watching somebody and he's figuring out what he's about to do and he's got this kind of like almost like he's going without doing that but yeah. but it's just it's something so he does there's like a little sideways but i i wondered if i just wanted to catalog oh, that moment so was that good. what you're laughing at in those moments yeah. too it was just something he's doing with his face where he's like how yeah. would you describe that look what is that look <laughs> i don't know man it's just like he he had a clear objective from the moment that he saw Adonis Creed. Yes. And it just continues. And there's a point where he, the last fight where I swear he morphed into Mike Tyson. <laughs> it's like he, his face got, like if they had a biopic and Jamie Foxx didn't play him, I could see him playing Mike Tyson. He just kind of lost his shit and his face were kind of like, Rah! the way that Mike Tyson used to lose his shit before he knocked somebody's, body into a eternal sleep or bit their ear so, off yeah or or bit their ear <laughs> yeah but it's it's a special movie man yeah. check right. it out steve i certainly will uh yeah what else uh you guys go ahead and keep going return to soul what was that with this one well, this, this one's been, is, this one's been on your radar for a long time, yeah, right, Ronald? So, yeah, so, so let's uh, why don't you start us off? <clears throat> um, let me look up the director's name because I don't want to probably mess it up, but I'm not going to. Uh, Davy Chow, yeah, uh, Davy Chow and Park Ji Min, um, is the actress mm. who plays uh, Frederick, Fred, Freddie, Frederica, Freddie, uh, yeah, yeah Fred, uh. Frederic Benoit, um, aka Freddie, um, who was um, a Korean infant that was adopted by some people in in France. There seemed to be like a program that connected to Paris and uh, specifically this yeah. part of of, of Seoul, um, this adoption agency, and it really takes place. Um, a couple times during her life, like these kind of fractions of her life. I think it's spread she, out over about an eight year period. Yes, eight years. But the 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 beginning is right as she enters Seoul, kind of pops up there. And I think there's a force kind of maybe bigger than herself that's kind of pushing her toward it to look into her family's background and uh, you know where she comes from and- but we see that she's making these decisions to visit Seoul and to look up her family she makes them in a very like like blase way she's very she's being very impulsive yeah. about it and i feel like it's interesting yeah. that the movie finds a way to comment on it by saying this isn't really how people do this you know people don't usually put themselves through these potentially emotionally traumatizing experiences without like getting ready for it both visiting your home country for the first time uh, and and seeing your uh your biological parents like i feel like the movie made a subtle point that yeah, she yeah, she kind of sure. went about it wrong for her own mental health uh and and without really thinking about what she was doing but it's hard not to be sympathetic to her story when as it unfolds um uh and that's the first visit and then she comes back right like it's 2 years yeah. later or something yeah she comes back a couple times and her relationships the people are very different every time that she we we catch up with her um, yeah, she's every, almost being a different person every time yeah we see her. yeah 
and and one one stage she kind of morphed into her significant other like they kind of became this symbiote uh, sort of force where they were like kind of mirrors of each other mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's really about the her journey to figure out who she is as a person um and that is through relationships and people seeing her relationships and commenting on them and and maybe how her connections may be related to her lack of connection to her family. And as she gets closer to her family, as she discovers more, her relationships get a little closer. She becomes a little more considerate. She pays more attention to people. Um, It's a special sort of thing. And then you realize that there are forces beyond your control that are kind of working. And some of them might be in your favor in a really cool way. Really, there's a moment where you realize that something's something's been happening in the background that you, you, man, you know, it, it could only have come from love and sympathy for this person uh, in, a, in a very distant way. But and yet the feeling of the feeling we're left with at the very end is, you know, like constantly adding fuel to both of those ideas. One is that you can never really reconnect. You can never really go back. And the other is like that you if you're on the quest to find yourself, the the answer could always be kind of around the next corner or if, if not the answer, but like some, some amount of peace should, yeah. should perhaps come. And, the, and and I think that we see her as an, as, as having found a little bit of peace at the end, but it's not a movie that resolves. It's not a storyline no. that really resolves. No, it's no. not a traditional plot line. She's not a, she's not a character that's real easy to relate to at times. At other times, I think just her basic humanity makes her relatable, but she's very closed off and kind of sarcastic and, she really, like you said, Ronald, she slowly starts to open up to people around her and accept the damage she's doing yeah. um, uh, and to accept that she's not a fully formed version of herself yet. Like that realization I was talking about, about how she kind of jumped into this soul trip and visiting her biological family, like those things were very impulsive. And only later is like you you witness what she, how she kind of changes her her ways of going about things when she realizes that she was maybe being too, too judgy and too impulsive, but it's still very subtle. Like what we're describing is really like two different ideas of what you can pull from this story that really just presents these scenes yeah. without a lot of commentary, without a lot of the camera telling you uh, what's good or bad. And she, you can go from totally knowing what she's thinking to wondering what the heck is going through her mind in like yeah. one shot. At, and you mentioned her up, up top, but yeah, the performance by the actress is, is amazing. It's pretty incredible. As, as um, Freddie. Now, um, one thing I heard was that uh, I've, I've been following it for quite some time. The director in Park G Min, who plays Freddie, she basically retooled the whole script. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a, a man who wrote a story about a a, a woman who was a, a, a adopted person that was in Paris. He had none of that experience. So apparently the script didn't reflect uh, her experience or any woman's experience. So there was a lot of like retooling. So she helped essentially rewrite the script almost in real time. And... Um, it seems that like that that relationship that that she had with the director really proved to be a success because it's, it feels special. It feels like a a special movie in that way. So yeah, I and and it. and it, it is one of those movies where it is the character. Like you're really following her, and yeah. she's kind of the only emotional through line you get. You'll see other people that feel like they're about to stick around or be part of her journey in a more significant way, and sometimes they're they're around for a few more scenes, but it's really about her moving through this life and moving forward where she seems to be as likely to like 
crash in an alley after having too much to drink one night as she does to like make a plan and have like a, a successful career because she clearly it's you know in the middle part of the movie she's 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 working in these these kind of uh strange circles with like an arms dealer and yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know there's yeah i i think it's an interesting storyline and i think that whole thing about like an an adopted person's experience is one that the more and more that i learn about it in just you know my in life the more i realize that we don't really understand uh what that person's experience is like sure. we've seen so many films where someone's orphaned or someone's adopted and so much right. of that's about like the idea of like oh at least they found a better life or this person back home couldn't help them or whatever and you think about how just you don't ever start to think about what's wrong with our society what's wrong with our world where people would need to put up a kid for adoption i mean obviously some people want to do that but i mean even saying what i'm saying right now i feel like i'm stepping out of my depth into these areas of intense emotional reality for some people and that yeah. for the rest of the people is like fodder for fiction so the notion that this movie started out as a less genuine version of that and and, and turned into something more genuine i i, I really feel the the vagueness of what I'm talking about in this movie. Like she's, she's not really like, you see that she clearly had loving uh, adoptive parents, but that doesn't answer every question for her. And it doesn't mean their intentions are pure. And then her parents, her biological father we, is a mess, you know, and there's not a whole lot for her to hold on to in the world. Not that as a person who stayed with their biological parents, you necessarily have to have an easier time of it. But I just think there are questions about, the world and your place in it and where you come from that I don't know. I, I grew up with answers to those questions and I, I, I have to say, I, I don't know what it's like to search for those questions. And so I think this movie did sort of touch. It felt like it was touching that experience that was a little bit outside of mine and that the, the inscrutability of this character might be part partially because she was formed by this, this, you know, trying to forge her identity in a, in a situation where she doesn't really know what that, maybe what that means but like in the movie she seems very confident i'm french i'm not korean you know she seems kind of in denial about her biological history um but that's not where the movie leaves you it doesn't leave you with the idea that she's totally separate and clear from that you know what i mean ronald like it doesn't yeah, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't it doesn't leave you feeling that she knows that either so yeah I don't know. yeah it's it's a it's a beautiful movie that yeah it really that, is that doesn't really you know if you're looking for an answer at the end Nah, but it's it's a it's an amazing <laughs> journey. I I really enjoyed it. So. Yeah, Return to Soul. Well, Steve, Return. since you didn't see uh, Creed three or Return to Soul, why don't you give us yeah. a quick ritz from Steve Ritter, and we'll find out what you've been watching I, lately. I I really just wanted to mention this new movie on Apple TV that mm -hmm. I was uh, excited to see. I didn't get to see it in the screening options that we got for it, but I finally caught up with it this last week. Uh, it's called Sharper. Okay. Uh, it's got a pretty great cast. It's um, I mean. Sebastian Stan is in it. Uh, Julianne Moore, John Lithgow, Justice Smith. Oh, that's the name of that movie. Okay. I, I wasn't placing it earlier yeah. when you mentioned it, but yeah, I've seen that trailer a million times. It looks great. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like a, a con, you know, drama, grifters, you okay. know, who's conning who, who's in on what. But um, it does, you know, it, it, I thought it was really good. I mean, like I'd heard a couple mixed things about it, but I think it's, it's very um, well paced. It kind of is the the approach to the movie as it kind of breaks out the story that we're watching um, with these almost like chapters where you're following one of the four to five main characters of the movie. Um, so like as we jump into each character's story, you know, we're kind of it's it's kind of patching the story together in pieces that we miss in, in someone else's story. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think everybody's really good in it. I, I I know Justice Smith has been coming up. You know, this last year he was in um, the last Jurassic Park movie, but I, I know he's been in a lot of the clips. And I think they're really kind of pushing him in this new Dungeons and Dragon movie that's coming up soon. Right. Um, but I thought he was really good in this, and uh, I like Sebastian Stan a lot. Julianne Moore's great. John Lithgow's great. I mean, it's just like a lean, quick, kind of nasty um, little grifter movie. Um, if if you like that kind of con, um, you know what what the what what's the actual con that's going like who's on? Who's conning who? Uh, kind of exactly, exactly. Um, I think you would really enjoy it. Um, and again, you know, it's on Apple TV Plus. Um, if you are fans of any of the actors or actresses I've mentioned, um, I think you know you would definitely. There's something there to enjoy, I think, for sure, especially because, um, you know, th- there's not really a ton of these movies that come out anymore. Like, because it's kind of like when, when Ron and I were talking about this before we were recording about how I watched it, like when you had mentioned that um, on the, the screening option for it, like the quality was a little different. You know, it's like it made me think that, you know, it's it's this is not like a big budget thing. This is kind of like this is this is this is an example of the kinds of movies that really aren't coming out in theaters as much anymore. Right. You know, this is like um, not that it's a similar kind of movie, but what I was thinking about when I was watching it a little bit was Widows. Um, you know, oh, and right. like right. how much I love that oh, okay. movie. Um, just a great cast. You know, jumping story storylines around a bit. You know, it kind of just made me remember that like, you know, unfortunately that movie underperformed. And even though I thought that movie was great, I think this movie is pretty fun and pretty good as well. And, you know, it's the kind of movie that unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, depending where you fall on that side of the conversation, you know, if, if it's coming to theaters or not, it doesn't seem like these movies are coming out into theaters anymore. Um, which, you know, I think sucks. And, you know, there's comedies and there's these kinds of middle budget adult kind of drama thrillers i guess you could even put it in that category but they're still there and they're on the streamers uh so if you have apple tv plus and uh you kind of want to see that kind of movie uh it's on there now again it's called sharper um and i think uh the movie opens on like a a, a title card uh using sharper it's like a as a as a, a definition as a noun like basically a person like getting by like on on their wits alone mm. and um and uh, it's 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 i don't know i think it's a kind of cool way to open the movie because as we jump between these characters in varying degrees of of uh you know where they are in the con um and uh you know kind of how it ends up i think is pretty interesting too i, I don't know that you know it's it's the biggest uh t- not a twist but like i, I think you can kind of see some of what's coming in the movie but even still, I think the performances are really good. And, uh, you know, it's just like people trying to take money from real rich, really, really, really rich uh, New York socialites or, you know, billionaires and things like that. And you're just like, OK, I kind of I mean, that's pretty shitty. But like, I'm like, all right, well, all right, get get that money. I don't know. Get that money. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Sharper's on Apple TV Plus. Definitely. Definitely worth checking out, I think. Cool. Um, did you guys see anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? I'm just going to very quickly say that everyone seems to be watching this, so I don't think I really need to recommend it to people. But if you want to laugh your head off, Kunk on Earth 
on Netflix. So good. It's so funny and so good and such a pitch perfect satire of a kind of sort of educational documentary <laughs> programming that we're very, very familiar with. It's pitch perfect. It's like got so many, like so many laugh lines. And is it Diane Morgan? Is that the name of the woman that plays Philomena Kunk? Um, um, are you my yeah. fact checker right now? Yeah. Kunk on Earth. So I watched it before it came out on Netflix. I, I didn't suggest it because I didn't know where to find it. Well, Kunk on Morgan. Earth might be the Netflix show. I think there was a Kunk on Britain before. Uh, I've only seen Kunk on Earth, but okay, there's another one? From 2016 to 2018, the show <laughs> Kunk on Britain ran. Ooh, okay. And I think it's actually it the, the, the lineage of this, like, is it has some association, like some writers, it shares some writers with Black Mirror. So if you okay. imagine the sort of satirical sensibility of, of a funny episode of Black Mirror, but pushed totally towards comedic uh, uh, pleasure. And it's a little bit of the, it's got a, a little bit of the, the Ali G, um, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, where it's a, it's a fictional character or a, a person interviewing academics. Like she's talking to people like you would talk to for a History Channel documentary. Um, but it's like, she's being that kind of idiot who ask questions that are completely insane and the other person is having to react. And the, there's certain pleasure, isn't there, Ronald, in watching the way some people play along with her without yes. being rude. And some people can't help but be a little rude with their answers, but it never <laughs> lasts too long. It's got that British politeness thing going for it, yeah, where it never gets too deep into cringe comedy. It's mostly about the cleverness of just her completely uh, wrong uh, assessments of almost every thing she talks so about. Good, it's really, really funny. And it's like five half hour episodes. So it's definitely got that. Uh, now uh, I'm going to get Kunk on Britain. Thank you. Well, let me know. Or I, I guess I'll, I might just pop on by your Plex at some point and see what's yeah, there. Yeah, man. I'm grabbing it right now. <laughs> uh, so cool, man. I think you would like it a lot, Steve. Like the humor is... It, yeah, I, I have it in my queue. I, I had, somebody, had, somebody had posted about it recently. Oh, it was... Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, John Ralphio. Uh, why can't I okay. remember his name? Oh, okay. What's his uh, name? Ben, uh, ben, ben Schwartz. Benny Schwartz. Schwartz. Benny Schwartz. Benny Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he was he was raving about it like last week on Twitter, and I was like, I haven't even heard of this thing. Oh, and uh, yeah. When he, yeah. when he usually goes on his rants about what he's watching, I'm like, okay, it must be pretty good. Right. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I have I got it in the queue on Netflix. I just haven't checked it out. But I'm glad to hear that it was. Yeah. As funny as he said it was. It takes a while to get used to because you're like, this is this is this can't be like a half an hour show, but. Once you get into the pacing of it and you see how, yeah, it's it's so good. Man. Like they almost blend into the next in a way that you feel like, oh, let's just watch another one. Oh, well, let's just watch it. And then there's, you know, then, then yeah. you're done in two and a half hours. But um, but no, it's just got that British comedy. I mean, we're about to get that next time when we talk about uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. But they just have a knack for like nailing a concept and yeah. letting it breathe. And that's it. Like, it doesn't have to be a, a thing that supports 20 episodes a year and then turns into like, well, we're going to try to get eight years out of this. I, I, even though American television has moved a lot towards that British model, I feel like in recent years, you don't see those yeah, long sure seasons and, and you don't see as many shows making it for, for super long runs anymore. But I still think the British model feels like there's something artistically intact about these yep. shows when you see them. Right. All right, cool. Well, yeah. that's uh that's an episode. Um just as a reminder, so next week we'll be skipping a week and we'll be yes. back on the 10th. Um, but just to recap this episode, both Creed 3 and Return to Soul, at least here in Baltimore, 
are opening next week on March 3rd. Uh, Creed 3 Goes Wide, Return of Souls is kind of in its rollout, but it'll be here in Baltimore uh, on March 3rd uh, for its release here. Um, and if you want to check out Dark Place, John's pick for the next episode, again, it's on Amazon Prime Video if you have that, if you want to watch along before that episode comes up. Uh, MovieShmovie.com is the website. You can go there to listen to past episodes or to subscribe to the podcast in um, your pick of the podcast platform of your choice. And if you want to watch the uh, video version of this podcast, you can go to YouTube.com slash MovieShmoviePodcast and subscribe there as well. Again, we'll be back in two weeks. And as always, you've made our day. Thanks.